Hello, gentle listener, and welcome to Michael and Ethan in a Room with Scotch. I'm your host, Michael Lilienthal, and this is my guest, Ethan Bartlett. I am Michael's guest, Ethan Bartlett. <laughs> As he said. Uh, this is our first episode, so let's go over the rules yes. of the podcast. Uh, it's called Michael and Ethan in a Room with Scotch. And we are, right now, in a room that Scotch is in. It is. Uh, the rules are, uh, we... Pour the scotch, and then you'll hear this sound. And from that moment on, we are not allowed to talk about the scotch. And if we do talk about the scotch, then we lose. What happens if we lose? When we lose, the loser, who is the person who has talked about the scotch, has to perform a verbal stunt as prescribed by the not-loser who has not talked about the scotch. Sounds fun. All right. Yes. Is there a way to win? You know, I don't think we go for that sort of stuff yeah, here. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, we're talking about scotch and literature. And, right. So winning is winning has never been on the table. No, it's okay. That's, so that's fair. Yeah. Are you ready to be excited by the scotch? I am already excited by the scotch, but I am ready to learn what scotch I'm being excited All by. All right, Ethan, I've got a surprise for you. Our scotch. It's a paper bag. It is a paper bag. Oh, but there's scotch. Oh, you're going to get those nice ASMR uh, fans with that. Yep, absolutely. Just gained like 100 (laughs) followers just from you doing that. I know. That's what I'm going for. All right, the scotch is Jura Superstition. Oh, the box looks amazing. (laughs) It does. Uh, The box has uh, an Irish coast. I can only presume it's Irish. No, you know, it'd probably be Scottish. Probably be Scottish. So you would know that already looks sounds an awful lot to me like a loss right there. I think, yeah, just about. Yeah. Well, uh, but it's it's very lovely blue, uh, and it says on the side that Jura Single Malt Scotch Whiskey is lightly peated superstition. Uh, on the side, let me read you the story of Ooh. Jura superstition. Jura is an island wrapped in superstition. Never cut peat before May, and always build haystacks in a clockwise direction. Okay, but wait, 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 wait. So, never cut peat before May. Right. Which means, like, presumably May 1st, it's okay to cut peat, right? I think But, so. as soon as it's after May, or it's or as soon as it is May, it's still before the next May. You're thinking too hard about I'm it. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sorry, continue with the, okay, the Jura okay. story. Uh, perhaps it's the one regarding the Ankh Cross that demands greatest attention. And you'll notice there in little silver there, oh, you've got the Ankh Cross. Yes. Uh, let me tell you what that's all about. This ancient Egyptian symbol is rumored to bring good fortune just so long as you pour the whiskey in the correct manner. Oh. Hold the bottle with the Ankh Cross in the center of your palm, they say, and good fortune will surely follow. Uh, so let me open the box for you and Indeed. show you this bottle. I'm I'm really excited about oh that's going to be difficult the the Aunt cross for for all of you watching at home who can't see us because <laughs> this is just audio the Aunt cross is like right in the middle of the front kind of got to grip it like so a basketball player you yeah palm the whole thing it's not like from the side where you'd usually grip a bottle so right. this is going to be difficult all right now you'll notice Ethan this is completely sealed yes I have not yes. cheated I have not cheated you out of a single drop. Of this precious scotch. Or, or you have a vacuum sealer of your own. <laughs> you wouldn't put I it would past me. I would not put anything past <laughs> you, to be honest. All right, here we go. I'm breaking the seal. 
if I can. And if I can't break this seal, the podcast is off. Well, and there we there go. There it is. Oh, it's you should have put that next to the microphone. I should have. Here, let me try that again. All here, right. Let me give you all a I... chance to hear it. All right, ready? Here. There. Oh. Was, I was expecting it to be Beautiful. a dud that time because it was the second time. Right. But, but no, Jura so far has not disappointed us. Correct. All right, ready? I'm going to I'm gonna pour it the proper way. I'm going right. to palm this, Good. this Ankh cross. We don't need any bad luck in nope. this very young podcast. Right. And one for me. Thank you. Okay. All right. So, from the moment our glasses clink, we are not allowed to talk about this scotch. If we do, we lose. Here we go. So, our book for this month uh, was chosen by me um, for a variety of reasons that I don't remember now. (laughs) <laughs> and there were a variety of things in it that I did not remember being in it. <laughs> but I still hold to it being an excellent little book and especially appropriate for a podcast of this nature because uh, there's a lot to it that is is um, under the surface, not not exactly what meets the eye. It, it, uh, it is. It's... Um... It's a thinker uh, for sh- such a short book. Um, I know, at least for me, I was reading just in small spurts uh, here and there, uh, but I would have to stop and think for just about as long as I had just read after right. reading so that we should, section. We should say we the should name say of the book. We should say what we're actually reading, what we're talking about here. It's called South of the Border, West of the Sun by Haruki Murakami. Um, possibly one of his somewhat lesser known books uh he's famous for like the wind up bird chronicle mm-hmm. um iq 84 mm-hmm. uh a couple others that i know i after read. dark that's not a uh, famous one isn't it stop stop trying to, oh, okay. to create uh, pinball is the other one that's connected with uh oh no wind up bird chronicle is separate what? yeah um, wind up bird chronicle is one of his better known ones yeah norwegian wood i think is fairly well known hard-boiled wonderland and the end of the world um, he has a short story collection called The Elephant Vanishes, which features two of my favorite short stories of all time. Um, one of them being The Elephant Vanishes, the other one being The Second Bakery Attack. I was about to say I can't remember it live on this pre-recorded podcast, but I can. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, uh, this was the, the book that we read this month. Um so we're totally gonna, like, this is the only spoiler warning that will ever be in this series. You've all been warned now, we are totally always going to spoil all of the books. It's gonna be nasty. Like, just hardcore spoiling here. Yep. Um, you know, meat left out in the boiling sun, the opposite of our Wisconsin winter we're experiencing here. Right. Meat left out for days, rancid. We've yep. kicked this metaphor way too, way too dead, I think. Dead and spoiled. Uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but it should be noted that also if we spoil a book like this, it's not going to ruin your experience of the book. Right. If you haven't read the book that we're discussing, you can still listen and get something out of it and then go read the book. Right, which is totally exactly what I was planning, have been planning to say at the beginning of this podcast for like a month now. Never told Michael, and he went ahead and said it for me. Our brains are linked. Um, <laughs> we're not going to go into that. Uh, this, most of our listeners haven't been initiated, and it's we'd we'd have to hunt them down. And anyway, um, 
Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's true. I, I'm, in fact, I meant to bring along my copy of, uh, uh, volume, I think it's volume nine of the Sandman, um, series of graphic novels, uh, in which whoever writes the introduction, whose name I can't remember, oh. it's a much more famous person than I am, but yeah. there you are. Um, <laughs> anyway, they, they, they say that like volume nine particularly is a classical tragedy essentially. And like the point of a classical tragedy is that, you know, it's a tragedy. You, you don't go into Hamlet, like expecting, you know, the, the, uh, um, cheese danish to like survive unspoiled and without <laughs> his blood all over the stage by the end like you know how it's going to end and yet you still you know you're, go you're not there. hoping for a happy ending in hand right it's... unless you're like completely lost in the moment but even that's sort of a different different right thing. that's different so yeah similarly with like any great literature you know having it spoiled for you is not that big of a deal um, you know, there's, there's a pleasure in not knowing the ending. Like, I'm, I'm glad that no one had gone ahead and told me, like, how Murder on the Orient Express ended mm-hmm. before I read it. Um, so, you know, you, you can sort of, sort of have your, have your cake and eat it, too. Um, that's a different genre, though. You know, that's a yeah. murder mystery. And, you know, right. the, the whole point is not knowing the end. Right. For such a genre. But there, the, you know, there's a sense, even with yeah. the greatest of those, of, of that genre, for example, like, you know, I would reread that book and, oh, yeah. and still get pleasure from it. Um, you know, it, it reminds me of the movie, The Prestige. Uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I saw that movie before I read the novel, which had the effect of spoiling all of the surprises of the novel. And I still, you know, love the, the novel. Um, I still rewatch that movie, even though a lot of like the initial pleasure is like, all the mysteries and and not figuring it out till the end um so yeah i guess that's our that's our long rant about spoilers which that's our big spoiler warning yeah (laughs) so what we're saying here and you know we're always going to try to like or not try to we are going to post the the book that we're reading next month Mm -hmm. um we'll say it at the end of the podcast we'll uh post it you know on the on the website so you can read along um but also the great thing about a podcast is that, you know, you, you it's not like real time. So here's, we're going to stop the podcast for just a second. Um, if you don't want to have the book spoiled for you, your only option at this point is to pause the podcast in a second here, go read the entire book and then, and then come, come back. back. Right. So, so, all right, we'll let you go do that. All right. Go have fun. Go ahead. Okay. Wasn't it so good? Right? Is it not like the best? Ugh. Well, not the best, but, no, but it's still but fascinating. It's, it, yeah, interesting, it's, right? Yeah, right. Made like, you think. It's a thinker, and yeah. you know some of the things you think are probably wrong, but we're here to. Uh, you're right. To we're we're gonna set you straight. Either that, or you're <laughs> gonna set us straight. But you don't have a podcast right now. Neither, <laughs> so. We hold the floor. Though I don't know that anyone's listening to this. No, at all ever. Like Probably. my mom will be. Which I know a guy at a comic book shop who will. Okay, yeah. Shout out. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, so uh, what was what was like the first thing that struck you about um, this book? Interesting that you say the first thing because uh, the name of the narrator and main character is uh, the Japanese word Hajime 
which means beginning. Uh, oh. The first thing. Oh, see? you did, like, philological research on this sucker. Yes, I did. Oh, well, he man. says that. Look, I thought we were, like, page. in new criticism here. Like, you're not allowed to do anything outside of the text. Oh, my bad. Yeah, well, you know what? I'm going to just go postmodernist on you and deconstruct your entire existence. Okay, so, like, like Hajme? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice segue back into Boom! the actual book. Let's talk about the book. Okay, so <laughs> so continue. You, you sounded like you had a train of thought that well, I Well, uh, the reason I know of, of Hajme is because it's a karate term. Okay. it's You start the fight with the word Hajme. That's okay. what the, the, the judge says. So it's it's the beginning. Start. Uh, you, you begin. Um, and uh, he makes a big deal about that, uh, pointing out in the very first... Uh, paragraph of the book, his birthday is the 4th of January, 1951, mm. first week of the first month of the first year of the second half of the 20th century, um, which uh, he points out that uh, he, that's why his parents named him Hajme, the beginning. They saw him as uh, someone at the beginning of a new era uh, coming here now at the second half of the 20th century. Um, and he makes a great deal about that, and it kind of seems, at least to give him a complex, of needing to be some sort of messiah figure. Hmm. Uh, at least I see that in, in how he acts. He, he establishes that uh, he has high expectations for himself, but seems not to live up to them. Uh, because he is such a, a beginning of these things. And that uh, is a constant thread running through the book. Like, yeah. there's some thing that he's, he's, he makes that comment several times is like something more that he was supposed to aspire to, but he, he can't quite get there. Mm-hmm. And sometimes he can't even tell you what that thing is, but it is, and yeah. he's not, and it's the right. worst. It, it is. It's absolutely the worst. <laughs> uh, I should notice, too, just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on to this first paragraph for a bit, too. Uh, yeah, that he I notices. mean, we could do this next 45 entire minutes about this the first, first paragraph. first paragraph, yeah. Uh, but he, you know, his his birthday is the 4th of January, not the 1st of January, right. which you could say is not the 1st of January because that would be a little bit too on the nose. Right. Uh, but also being the 4th shows that he doesn't quite make it to the very first. Okay. And also it's the second half of the 20th century rather than the first half. So he's kind sure. of like a... And not, not even 10 pages in, one of the characters has this sort of monologue and the character is like a 12-year-old girl, which mm-hmm. like, you know... Where did she come up with this? But it, it was something. In fact, can I? Yeah, take a look. Borrow your copy here. I was didn't dumb bring his and left copy. my copy at work. Actually, that's a that's a long story that we won't get into. Um, <laughs> anyway, one of the characters, uh, she says, there are some things in this world that can be done over, and some that can't. And time passing is one thing that can't be redone. Come this far, and you can't go back. And, you know, so that, so that's, like, already this, this major thing is, like, uh, he's born on January 4th. Like, there's no way for him to have been born on mm-hmm. the 1st. It's, it's already just frozen. It's done. Right. As is the whole first half of the 20th century. Right. It's all stuck. Uh, it's, it's rooted in time already. He can't go back. Okay. Now, except... And this is this is maybe a good segue into like what first struck me about this book. Both this is the second time I've read it. I read and it me too. We've ago. we've both read it the second time now. Yeah, so. because this is this is worth mentioning. The first time I read it, I had some thoughts about what happened at the end that mm-hmm. hopefully we'll get to. Um, and without telling Michael, I had to just give him the book and like force him 
um, <laughs> high-handedly to read it, uh, and then, you know, just basically have him tell me what he thought uh, without trying with to not, like, prejudice him or anything. I just said, you have to read this and, and tell me what you think happens at the end. He came back with the exact thing that I thought. Which I should um, say, I, I might have been wrong now. I know. My I'm, second reading. <laughs> I'm actually thinking the same thing. I'm not... I, yeah. I, and, well, I'll say this. What I think, I think what happens at the end, I think, might be the same. But the reason that it happens, I think I changed my mind about. Okay. okay. Um, so, like, some of the... The rest of the theory that I had come up with, I don't know that that holds. But anyway, um, that's all vague and mysterious, and we'll we'll get there. Um, but so so the first thing though that struck me both the first time and the second time that I read this book is that he's lying to us. Yeah, he's lying to us from the word go. Okay. Um, so once again, we're back to this first paragraph with. If it seems like we'll never get past the first paragraph, that's probably correct. <laughs> anyway, my we, we did this, you know, my, my birthday is the, the 4th of January, 1951, which, like, you know, English teachers and, and other um, such such scum, um, of which <laughs> I have been one. Gross. Uh, so, you know, I speak from experience. But, but we like to talk about how, like, the first line of something is so significant, you know, like, like it mm-hmm. it sets the tone for everything it you know it it um often like contains a lot of the themes together so like my birthday is the 4th of January 1951 that's almost like breaking a rule here mm-hmm. um especially in a in a period of literature where unlike in like the Charles Dickens period that um Holden Caulfield mocks in Catcher in the Rye, you know, you, you would have the first paragraph be like, my name is David Copperfield and I was born, you know, mm-hmm. on, on this All street, on this... biographical yeah. information that's really dull. Yeah. <laughs> and um, important. I forget what, what Holden's exact quote is, but it's something like all that David Copperfield yep. crap. Yep. Um, anyway, so that's almost like going back to this, right? Uh, and then, so he goes through, like, the, the bit that, that Michael read, and then second half of the first paragraph. Other than that, a 100% average birth. And then he goes, you know, my father was sort of typical, my mother was typical. I, um, I underlined every instance of typical and average in the first few pages. Right. <laughs> uh, which is which is worth noting, because no later than, uh, let's see, page five, I believe... Um, page four, in fact. Okay. Uh, so we have that, that opening, like, you know, I, I, this, this whole, like, first week, first, uh, first year of the new, the second half of the century, all that crap. Other than that, super typical. Okay. Page four. Uh, in the world I grew up in, a typical family had two or three children. My childhood friends were all members of such stereotypical families. If not two kids in the family, then three, not three, then two, Families with six or seven kids were few and far between, but even more unusual were families with only one child. Mm -hmm. I happen to be one of the unusual ones since I was an only child. Like four pages in, he's already just blatantly contradicted himself. You're on page four there. That's two pages in. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Because, like I said, I was an English teacher, so I'm bad at math. (laughs) Um, Those two are like cause and effect. There's there's no correlation is causation. Yes. It is. And then he does, like, three more pages on how, like, unusual and crappy it is to be an only Mm -hmm. child. I I tried noting just about every time I could uh, where he went back on something he said earlier. And I I did that 
I, I did that both times, to be honest, and, mm-hmm. like, I lost track both yep. times. Yep, me too. Which is uh, partly, you know, sometimes he will, like, say something on page five and then contradict it, like, a hundred pages later. But sometimes it's within the same sentence. Yeah. One Another one I remember is somewhere on page, like, 30, 35 or something. Oh, uh, I might I might have lost it. It's all right. It's a big book. It is a big book. <laughs> it's, like, 200 entire pages I long. I know. Uh, one, there's one much later in the, in the book that reading through Michael's copy, because again, I'm dumb. Uh, (laughs) no uh, argument here. (laughs) Michael had a very neat, uh, series of notes where a character asks our narrator a question and essentially there are three, I don't know if you know where this is better than I do, but there are three paragraphs of response and like his first answer to the question is no and then the next paragraph is maybe and then the third paragraph is yes yep um i i vaguely remember that that was uh when shimamoto was asking him to go out to um this river uh with him she asked him if such a river existed if yeah if he knew of such a river yep if he she asked him if such a river existed if he knew of such a river and he first answers no and then he says oh maybe there's such things uh and then finally he says yes and i know exactly where it is and in fact i have some property nearby or something like right. that which just it develops to absurdity there oh, i can't remember um, yeah, i might be getting be close you might because i think it was somewhere in the middle there we are really good at like preparing yeah totally. you guys like we uh we're actually gonna teach a master class on like how to prepare for stuff right well. right I'm not um, it. It's somewhere right after he first like re-meets Shimamoto. When she we comes can, back up again. Well, yeah, we can come back to it. it. But yeah. Go ahead. Um, no, and, and that's something that... Um, that's where it really started to hit me that my initial interpretation of the book may have been wrong. Really? Um, uh, at that point. Uh, it, and not because he's lying the whole time, which was part of my whole initial interpretation okay. of it the first time I read it. Uh, that he's lying the entire time. He's an unreliable narrator, classically... Um, and, and you know, let's let's talk about that for a second because, like, that's sort of a an in vogue thing, right? Oh, mm-hmm. they're an unreliable narrator, and like every you know thing that has a fandom, whether it's like Harry Potter or I'm sure Star Wars or whatever, has that theory applied to it where it's like, oh, these are this this whole series is just like the ravings of a you know mentally insane person, mm-hmm. and like you know whatever uh everybody uh, had that one kid in their high school english class who when, when asked to interpret something says i think it was all a dream right it was <laughs> or all they're crazy dream. the whole time or like the harry potter theory where like harry's a patient in a mental asylum and like mm-hmm. mcgonagall is actually the nurse that forces him to take his shots or whatever and it's it's such a boring theory yeah it's stop b- having that theory. yes everybody stop with that theory public yeah. service announcement don't do that yes just stop <laughs> um you know, it, it's boring, and usually it doesn't add anything. Uh, the only way that it's even, like, remotely applicable is if there's any textual evidence for it. And if that's the case, then the author needs to stop. Right. <laughs> because it's a boring thing to actually have happen. Mm-hmm. Um, like, Shutter Island was only almost good, and, like, that was a freaking Scorsese film. And if he can't make it stick, then, right. you know. Right. That was that was tolerable, at least. Right. Like, he almost worked it. But... Right. But it, it does seem like it's invoked to sort of call unreliable narrator um, right. on on someone or on a, a work of fiction, whatever the case may be. Um, but again, like 
that's that's the way that that is legitimate is if your narrator directly contradicts himself sometimes inside of the same sentence. Right. Um, right. There uh, are, there are places where he says I never blah blah blah. Well, hardly ever. Yep. Yep, there are at least three occasions that he does that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where, yeah, he, he starts with the strong never and then goes to hardly ever, which that's what makes this sort of unreliable narrator something far more meaningful to study because it's a matter of intent. Right. Uh, it's not um, someone who's just crazy or someone who's sleeping and it's completely out of their control. No, this person is lying to you. Right. Uh, and you have to unpack that lie right. uh, that they're giving to you. So that's that's what's really fascinating. And actually bringing up that matter of um, the being out of control, he tries to convince us he's not in control. Right. Uh, throughout the whole thing, uh, there, it, he, I, I don't think he ever says the words, I, I'm not in control, uh, or gets, I wasn't he in control. Brushes he brushes up pretty he, close to he it. He phrases it in different ways yeah. uh, and says, I couldn't do this. I, I was yeah. unable to, to even get myself up to do something. Right. Uh, I, I couldn't move. At the very end of the book, He's he's sitting yeah. at the kitchen table, uh, and he's got his head in his hands, and he says, I, I, I've got to go and get my daughters and, and take them to school. And he says, I couldn't. I couldn't get up and take them to school. Uh, and that's that's essentially how it ends with him trying to tell us that he's incapable. Uh, he, he doesn't have the control he needs. So that's, that's a theme that continues through, that he doesn't right. have control. Here he's trying to convince us that he doesn't have control, when in fact, he is orchestrating this entirely. Yeah, and you know, in a very like real and specific sense, he's telling us the story. Mm -hmm. And you know, even if you if you ever pay attention, even to like a completely true story that you're telling, where you have no impulse or reason to lie, you know, anything that happens to you that you then tell about, you have to pick, right? You have to pick like which details to focus on, like which things led to the thing that you're talking about. You know, in any experience that you tell, you're going to maybe tell, like, ten of the things that happened when really a hundred things were happening. Mm -hmm. You know, like, like a lot of those things are pretty mundane. Like, oh, the light was on and I was wearing mm -hmm. these sorts of clothes and, you know, so on and so forth. But you're still sort of choosing which things to tell. You're shaping... Mm -hmm that story or again in a sense you're controlling it you're crafting that narrative yourself right mm -hmm. and that's why you know already in literally like 12 pages into this book um you're well it's page 14 okay technically 11 so. pages <laughs> depends on how you're counting is the first page one page in or is this okay this is a debate we do not need to have okay. no we um, need to nail this down no <laughs> this is I would rather discuss Harry Potter in a mental institution. Okay. Uh, which is what I'm just saying in order to disguise the fact that I literally can't do arithmetic. But <laughs> um, so in this in this first chapter, which again is really worth it's really worth just doing the first chapter almost like by mm -hmm. itself. Well, but, it is kind of its own separate story, the first chapter, and then it jumps. Yeah. Uh, it's, well, it jumps in time, for one thing. Right. But, um, and it's it's almost like an overture to, mm -hmm. like, the, the you know, the if, if the rest of the work is a symphony. Um, which, which I think is an act, uh, in fact, it, it, it's an overture in some ways, but it's also very different, uh, mm -hmm. which I think is itself an act of deception and control on behalf of this narrator. Right. He's setting you up to expect a certain type of story, and then right. everything changes changes for the rest of the story right yeah yeah no that's that's very true you know and and but i, I was going to say Go you on. know <laughs> starting on on page 14 here again uh 
the the narrator's sort of first love at the age of twelve. Who that's uh, that's Shimamoto, right? Yep. Um, uh, she she says you know she says this thing that I quoted earlier. Um, time passing is one thing that can't be read on. Come this far and you can't go back. And she says, "Don't you think so?" And then the narrator says, "I nodded." Right. Mm-hmm. You know, he he seems to be like on board with this this little rant that again she's twelve. Like mm-hmm. I think the most profound thoughts I had when I was twelve were like what to do with the booger I had just picked. Um, <laughs> You're quite a sophisticated twelve. I was very sophisticated. <laughs> I was probably reading like Twain at the time that I picked it, but there. You go. <laughs> anyway, stuffing uh, it into the book. <laughs> you gotta have a bookmark, and sometimes you don't want to get up and go looking. That's disgusting. <laughs> I'm sorry to everyone who's listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah michael's sorry that he enabled that right yes I, I, I take it, it back i take and, it back yeah um anyway um <laughs> i'm not violating. can i go back in time and change that <laughs> we can actually and see that's part of the point that we're making like we're writing a pod or we're not even writing it we're just saying this podcast here but like we could stop our recording software right now and erase this last five minutes of disgusting booger-filled ranting nonsense but and see, like now we replace it because... with something that's actually intelligent and you would never know if we were clever enough which we're not because of what we're not allowed to talk about anyway, right yes. but now now we can't because we made a point out of it well we could still we would have to go out ahead of wherever we're going right now and clip it there clip it to that okay and then so, yeah. and just lose this entire point. right so so the point is dear gentle listener you don't know what we've crafted you don't know how many takes this has taken you don't though the the higher the number in your estimation the sadder i think we appear (laughs) anyway what what the point i was sort of trying to make i don't know if this is a segue at this point or not uh (laughs) i call bs on this whole i nodded crap Mm -hmm. right like i nodded yeah i've just spent 14 pages lying to you and i agree that time can't be redone that's the entire point of what he's doing here yep He's taking the past and molding it in in a certain way, and that and you do you did bring up an excellent point that like I don't know what his goal is. Yeah, um, and that's that's something I was trying to figure out, especially getting later in the book uh, when when they do go out into this uh, riverside thing, and then they go to his. That's right, they were two separate things. Uh, they went to a hotel first. Right. And then they went to his property. Right. Second. Yeah. So that's 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 the the difference. When when they get to that point, I was trying to figure out what 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 is he trying to accomplish uh by lying about everything. Uh and it it's it's weird because I can't come up with any other reason for him lying to us except for the reason that he wants us to think about it, that he's trying to reshape himself, that right. he's trying to grow as a person. But I don't want to believe that about him because he's been lying this whole time. Right. <laughs> and it, it's, it would be a growth by lying, essentially. Right, right. It would be, it would be a, a total justification of his evil. <laughs> right. Which is maybe getting ahead. Maybe. Of, of things here. But, you know, but even, even so, it's in there. And I, I noticed in, in reading through your copy that a couple of the notes I could decipher were along the lines of, like, he's confessing without <laughs> confessing. Yeah. Like he's he's telling you that he did, or sometimes another character in the story, he's telling telling someone that he did something bad, but usually mm-hmm. it's to cover up something, something else, else bad yep. that he did. Yep. 
and something else too. Uh, often it's the other characters who say something. Uh, right. He lets others talk for him, like in that occasion where he nodded, which right. it's it's a red herring at that point. But right. he never tries to say something about himself right. uh, as much as, as other characters say something about him. And he right. just says, oh, yeah, I guess, uh, or uh, goes along with it. So in that way, all these other characters are his puppets, too. Right. Um, uh, you know, and then, of course, you do get down to the question of, like, how much is he manipulating what they say in the story right. like they are his puppets one way or another and you know all of this obviously uh for at least obviously for the two of us makes us think of um the novel by the master of this sort mm-hmm. of technique um vladimir nabokov in lolita lolita um <sighs> in which you know humbert humbert spends the entire novel uh, just lying oh, and contradicting more than himself. the entire novel. Yes. More than the entire novel. Humbert Humbert lies to you through the author's mouth, Vladimir Nabokov, when Nabokov is writing about the book Lolita. It's right. Humbert Humbert's voice coming through and lying to you. And in the uh, the prologue, it's a different narrator, and it's Humbert Humbert's voice coming through and lying to you. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you know that it it becomes obvious to a certain level of deception. But like the farther in that you get, the the more deception there is to the point that you're you know left with like this is just a a work of fiction. Oh wait. You know, mm-hmm. and it's it's like it, it it's almost recursive. So yeah, um, though the the uh, Nabokov novel that it actually was making me think of on this reread, which I don't think you've read, is Invitation to a Beheading. Oh, I need to read that one. And it's a great novel. Maybe we'll do it on this show someday. Maybe mm-hmm. foreshadowing. Yes. We don't know. We literally don't. <laughs> um, but you know, and and of course, Michael and I both have at least 12 novels off the top of our heads that we were going to do on the show someday. So there's that. We like to read. <laughs> oh, is that what our problem is? Whoa. Huh. Never thought of it that way. I know, me neither. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael and I have just reshaped our pasts into an epiphany of sorts. Yep. Um, We've come to realize something about ourselves, and now we are trying to fashion mm-hmm. ourselves into better people. By manipulating you, the gentle listener... Into listening to us in the first place. And also believing us, even though everything we have said so far has been a complete lie. Ha <laughs> ha! Okay. Fooled you. So, so, oh man, the the rule is becoming harder to follow. Um, <laughs> what rule is that, Ethan? I don't know. What rule is it, Michael? What, what rule are you talking what, about? What rule are we... Um, <laughs> anyway... So, uh, that's chapter one. Yes. It's not even everything about chapter one. No, no, it's not. But, yeah, okay, so chapter one, just to sort of catch everyone up, uh, even though you've all read it because we paused for you to do that earlier. Yep. Like, 25 minutes ago or And whatever. if you are just joining us now, why would you start a podcast in the middle of an episode? What's wrong with you? That's a really good point. Like, what is with you? Come on. Think you have much bigger Push issues that than... rewind button. Go back okay. in time and, and change. Now two of past. us have issues because the gentle listener has issues with like having much bigger issues than just being in the middle of a podcast. Um, and Michael has issues with not understanding how like computer playback works as opposed to cassette tapes. You can push rewind on it. No, can't. no, you can't. You can't. I, I'm pretty sure there's no, a rewind there's, button. There's... We're going to have a conversation about this. <laughs> 
<laughs> we're having one now. No, no. Okay. we need to talk about this book right now. We'll talk <laughs> about rewinding on podcasts after we okay. record this. So podcast. when you rewind a podcast, do you do you stand no, the you risk? Gotta, You've got you to stand set... the risk of like the the like tape <laughs> no. getting caught up, and then you have to go in with like a pen and and screw no, the sprocket back in. Or now or you sound like works. an old person. No, there, you can set it so that it rewinds like ten seconds or thirty seconds or whatever when you click that little button and it goes okay. back a certain extent. You know, all audio content these days is mentally manipulated. What like. All of those people who joined us at minute 38 or whatever, like, they, 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 t- their brain instructed their audio playback device to do that. See, now I'm pretty sure you're lying to me. Now my only question is, when did you start lying to me? Oh, it was, it was, like, ten years ago. It was ten years ago, it was wasn't t- it? Huh. Wow, we're old. We are old. Crap. Jeez. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we apologize for this decryption. <laughs> Which, even if we had an audience, we have now lost them. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> no, they already left. Oh, yeah. So I'm saying goodbye to an empty room. You or, are. Um, but maybe we can mentally construct we can, an audience well, for ourselves. We're, we're All imagining right, ready? it. Ready? Three, two, one. Mm. Okay. Hi, I'm everybody. I'm all naked. That's, that's the wrong construct. That's your public speaking construct. We're doing oh, a podcasting. Okay, concert. let me try again. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, I apologize for my co-host's invasion of your privacy. <laughs> okay, um, there you go. You look lovely, ma'am. I love just, that blouse. This is just one of her? There's just just the one. Why would you, you imagine know, Everybody else one pales in comparison audience. to this one person. That's you true. know who you That's are. That's true. You do look lovely in that blouse. I like those pearls. And that mustache. It's great. It's a great mustache. It's distinguished. Um, very handsome. You know what would go well with that? Put a little feather in your cap. Like a literal feather. That would be a feather in your cap. <laughs> You've just lost her again. <laughs> our, our only audience member, and you just alienated her like under a minute in. Dang it. Okay, well. I think I have a special talent. I think you do. Anyway, yeah. so chapter two. In high school, mm-hmm. I was a typical teenager. Typical! There you go. Right. Right away. So... Connecting back to the previous chapter, and it should also tell you, because you know by now, after reading the first chapter, that, that when he's he a says... a big fat liar. Exactly. So when he says typical, he means not typical. Yes. Yes. So what happens in this chapter? He has a girlfriend. So mm-hmm. the first chapter is like... Is this so the first it... sexy chapter? Yeah, it is. Yeah. For which we apologize. Yes, there's the there's listeners. there's more sex than either of us remembered in this book. Yeah. So that's So a there's thing. your disclaimer. <laughs> right. PG thirteen at the very least. At the very least. Probably are. Probably are. It depends on how vivid your imagination is. Yeah, really. that depends on you. Um, Don't be so gross. Yeah, stop. Oh, really? Come on! Why would you read that in? Stop it! Oh my gosh. Put that away. These people. Oh my gosh. Um, Why do we associate with I... them? We're better than this. (laughs) Clearly we're not. You're better than this, people. Come on. This is Put your best face on. This is getting a little bit night veilish a little bit quickly. Um I forgot. I don't, don't reference other podcasts in our podcast. <laughs> You're right, especially ones way more famous than we will ever Right, be. right. Yeah, okay. That defeats our purpose. Um, I didn't on. reference that. We'll, no. we'll go back and edit that we'll out. We'll cut that out. Yeah. Um, I just gave Michael the book because I forgot anything that I was going to say. That's okay. Um, um, I don't know. Why, why would I have forgotten that? 
I don't know. Oh, um, you know, you you handed it to me at an opportune page on page twenty-seven here. Uh, he's yeah, talking about Izumi. There are a lot Izumi. of coincidences in this book. There are so many coincidences, and I'll I'll talk about that in a second. Okay, good. Uh, but this is something we talked about just a little bit earlier. He's he's looking at uh, uh, his girlfriend uh, Izumi uh, or her shoes. He's looking at Izumi's shoes, uh, and uh, well, she's looking at them too. Which, oh, that's interesting. Let me just read this this very brief paragraph, three sentences. Uh, she looked down at her shoes for a while, plain black loafers. Compared to mine, lined up next to them, they were as tiny as toys. Which, this is all about, this this whole chapter, especially at this, this later part, uh, is about his raging hormones as a teenager. Right. And him just wanting to use her. And she's a plaything to him. She's a toy. Uh, right. And so her shoes are tiny as toys here. Um, so he's emphasizing that just in that little phrase, but there, uh, that, you know, you can, you can read, you can, you can understand between the lines very clearly. And it's a normal way of speaking. She's looking at something, but he sees them, um, here. Uh, but that's too, uh, that continues throughout the book where, um, he, he sees everything that goes on, Mm -hmm. uh, unless he, he deliberately blinds himself to it. Uh, there, it, it starts to build, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself now a little bit and it might be in chapter four. Uh, no, it's it's chapter five, I think, where he he sees Shimamoto again, or what he thinks is Shimamoto, and he's not sure at that point. Well, that's chapter six. Is that chapter six? Yeah, because oh, that's okay. now the only chapter that doesn't fit into my theory. Oh, okay. With my reread. Okay, all right. Well, uh, let me recap that just a little bit. Where he he sees a woman who, and we should say this too, Shimamoto has a, 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 a malformation in one of her legs, so she walks with a limp. Right. Um, so Shimamoto is the girlfriend from the first chapter. From the first chapter. Um, and then they chapters get... like two through five are almost this new section where uh, it's the second girlfriend, mm-hmm. then leading into the third girlfriend, or like she's... He, well, he's pretty explicit fling... that, yeah, like, she's not anything like a girlfriend. She's just someone that he bangs. Right. But because of that, sort of destroys the second girlfriend or the second girl. Yep. He wrecks her um, life. And and then leading straight out of that is now this. Yes, uh, where he, he thinks he sees Shimamoto again. And th- this has been an obsession with him. Uh, and this is this is really the only constant throughout the book yeah. uh, that he's obsessed with Shimamoto. Yeah. Uh, she is the only thing that maintains his central attention for the entire time. While he's with Izumi, while he's with that third person, uh, while he's with his wife later on, yeah. it's Shimamoto. Uh, and so now in this in this transitional period, after his, his girlfriend and before he gets married, uh, he thinks he sees Shimamoto walking uh, around and he follows her. He follows her like through the whole town like yeah. to the point of being a stalker it's not just i'm gonna walk down the block and see if she she is who i think she is no he follows her throughout the entire town into a coffee a, shop a and... long he he himself describes it as a long hike yep um not like a normal distance to walk without looking mm. for a taxi or a tram right. or something and he's following somebody who has a limp so if it's a long hike for him Right. She's walking a really long distance. And then goes into the coffee shop with her and just sits down. And and watches her. And just And watches her. Yep. And there's nothing like doesn't approach her, you know. Talks about not approaching her, but then still doesn't approach her. Yep. Uh and then uh she gets up eventually. Uh she went to the phone at one point. Uh and then um oh, uh you should notice too, while he's while he's walking, he says, I was after her like someone possessed. Uh, which Once is again, just the control thing that he doesn't have control. Yeah, it's out of his control to follow yeah. this woman. But uh, he he never goes up. Uh, and then she she stood up and she left. 
Uh, and he got up to go and follow her uh, to, to go through. And he thinks, I'm going to follow her or I'm going to call out to her. Uh, and then it, he, he gets stopped. He says, just as I stepped forward, though, uh, implying that he is finally going to take that step. He is finally going to confront her and say, are you who I think you are? Are you Shimamoto? He gets interrupted. Yeah. Which seems totally out of the way. But someone grabbed my elbow, he says. Uh, and he turns and he sees a middle-aged man uh, staring straight at him. At him, The man was a couple inches shorter than me, but powerfully built in his mid-40s, I guess, and so on. And this, this, this man confronts him and says, let's go have some coffee. Brings him back into the coffee shop where they just left, ordered a couple of coffees, and talks with him and says, why are you following her? Who told you to follow her? Right. You know, I think he just gives some... Uh, some... He doesn't even answer. He doesn't speak. At all. Uh, this this other guy does all the talking, hands him an envelope of money, uh, and then leaves. Uh, it seems like... It, it seems like this story is building into kind of a reshaping of a fairy tale where she's captured by a dragon and he needs to be her sh- knight in shining armor to, to come and save this princess. Uh, that that uh, she's protected or, or guarded over by somebody right. who's controlling her. And that continues later on when he does reconnect with her again and she says things like that where... Uh, we, or she, when he reconnects with her again, she has to, like, go off and she's like, I probably won't be able to see you for a time mm-hmm. and is, like, very vague. But the implication is that there's something beyond her control. Right. She's not able to do this because of reasons that she can't tell him like right. even she's even controlled as far as and, what she can tell him and what you would expect in a typical story is for that to culminate in something right. for you for him to finally meet this this grand adversary uh and confront him in some way but it never does right he, he doesn't he doesn't go after it you know he he talks about in that first chapter going back to that once again only children are like weak-willed this mm-hmm. is how society views them they're weak-willed and cowardly and selfish and he in that first chapter says yeah that's i am mm-hmm. i am weak-willed and cowardly and selfish and so that you know that that's this this connecting thread that like at least there's the implication that any other hero of any other story would have done this thing but but he won't <laughs> he doesn't yeah. yeah and you know maybe that's part of like what he was he he feels like he's called to do that he then never does mm-hmm. you know the, there's there's this confrontation that he should be seeking but he won't yeah yeah uh, it's interesting that you mentioned the fairy tale idea because when i first you know when i very first heard about this book west of the sun recalls uh some old you know fairy tales mm. um and the 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 uh story which is told late late in the book by shimamoto where that that term comes from it's not it's like a folk legend or 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 you know almost it almost reads like a an anthropological phenomenon that she talks about uh this this siberian Siberian farmer yeah Um, um who who finally just like crack under the strain of their world and like go out to try to find the west of the sun because they're controlled by by the east of the sun by the or by the sun coming from the the east um mm-hmm. it makes more sense since you've all read the book since you um, have read it yeah my, we my know ex- you've read it right you've read it right anyway yeah so so it it it's not quite a fairy tale but it reads like a fairy tale yeah and that in the, this chapter that that you're talking about which is like I, I, it's pivotal to the whole thing somehow, but I, I'm not quite sure I understand how. 
Um, I, I think that's the point. Right. I think that's that is exactly how it's pivotal. It's it's supposed to be pivotal. Yeah. It, like it reads like the point where the adversary comes in and he's confronting somebody and it's demonstrating his great struggle, but he's externalizing it mm-hmm. uh, and creating some enemy outside of himself that he has to fight. Right. Uh, but he never gets to it. Right. And that's that's kind of the the purpose of this whole story that he's he externalizes everything unless he is the enemy exactly which which is i mean that's that more or less gives the game away as far as what my theory is but uh what was i gonna say oh I, on, on the back on the fairy tale track right at the end of that that sixth chapter the man who who stops him i think you said this but mm-hmm. he he like gives him a, a an envelope full of full of money and essentially a bribe to to leave her alone is mm-hmm. the implication right which disappears right it disappears but in the in the chapter until it disappears it functions as this proof of reality mm-hmm. and that's like an old fairy think, tale think interception or interception inception interception why would you say interception michael <laughs> football is playing today <laughs> some a, team is playing some that's other a good team cover. yeah <laughs> what team are you playing michael um, <laughs> your mom's team oh. My now mom, we've descended. My mom probably is listening to this. Yeah, so. I'm on your team. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's what I said. She thought you were a nice person, but now she knows the truth. What what makes that what makes me not a nice person? I said I'm on your you, mom's you're team. You're going to have to talk to my mom about this. I'm going to you're a wonderful beautiful person. <laughs> uh, yes, you are, mom. Anyway, <laughs> So like, but but that's like a a trope in fairy tales is like you know someone like gets kidnapped from their bed to go like mm-hmm. do stuff with the fairies and like they're up in the realm of of the stars or whatever and like you know the, the then then in the morning they wake up and they're back in their bed and like was it all a dream but they wake up and like some they stardust yeah. falls out of mm-hmm. their pocket something um, on their nightstand that proves that it was all real yeah or, yeah um, yeah it's it's a it's a and common this, trope this motif recurs in this book a few times mm-hmm. there's a few things like and, and when when shimamoto reconnects with him um in sort of in the middle of the the book uh you know the the at the bar first, he owns yeah at the bar he owns it's at least the first maybe the second time you know he mm-hmm. he think wonders if maybe he's imagined it but then he looks at like her empty yep. cocktail glasses and and her her ashtray and it's it's exactly the same set of things that he notices it's it is twice that it happens where he notices that she's left behind the exact same set of things it's it's her cigarette in the ashtray it's the lipstick on the on the glass yeah, yeah. um and it's it's something else, uh, but he notices it uh, the exact same things twice. That that repetition of things in almost the exact same pattern, in the right. same order, and everything. Uh, that's that's almost uh, well, it's 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 ritualistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, if if you're if you if if you look at the the different um, pagan practices throughout history, right. to do a ritual, you do the same thing right. over and over again, and it matches the same pattern, right. uh, like the same set of words in order, the same objects in order, right. uh, whatever. Um, to to you know, you think of superstition in baseball, where you've got to do the same things. And you know, there's there's an interesting motif where there it is. Sh- Go ahead. Um, uh, he, he, at the, at the end of chapter eight, which is the second time, I think, uh, he says, but this had been no illusion, illusion. When I went back into the bar, a glass and an ashtray remained where she had been. A couple of lightly crushed cigarette butts were lined up in the ashtray, a faint trace of lipstick on each. 
I sat down and closed my eyes. Echoes of music faded away, leaving me alone. In that gentle darkness, the rain continued to follow to fall without a sound. Okay. So. And that also uh, brings up what I was going to say, is that there's another interesting motif with, with Shimamoto. She's always associated with rain. Mm-hmm. And in that first chapter, she's associated with the color blue. Yep. Um, she always wears blue sweaters and blue other other garments and then later she's she appears in the rain Mm -hmm. when she disappears on the narrator he says every time it rained i sort of expected her to appear um that's another one ends with him thinking about rain on the sea yeah right Mm -hmm. right and so that's another one of those almost both like fairy tale things you know you the idea of like a spirit that appears in in certain you know when it rains or when other it, conditions are right. It does become a sort of magical manipulation sort of thing for him yeah. that when it rains, Shimamoto comes. Right. And when she comes, there are these objects in order. And so I've got to match up everything and, and right. get her to come. You know, he, you can you can picture him almost trying to summon her right. uh, magically. Like, and and what's, what is magic always about? It's manipulation. Control. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, manipulation and control. Again, it's it's sort of hidden, but this the the on the surface he's like not in control, but underneath things he's trying to control everything, mm-hmm. and that leads into like what I ultimately thought was going on this time around when I when I read it. Sure, um, how my theory changed slightly. I don't know if you're ready to go there yet. Why not? Hey, should we should we say what we both thought beforehand? Like yeah, the first time around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first time we read it, you, 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 you read about Shimamoto and, you know, that whole idea of going to the river and she wants to find this certain specific river. Uh, and when she does, she brings along the ashes of her child that right. was stillborn. Right. Uh, or was the child stillborn and, or It doesn't actually say. No, it, it was, it, it lived a day. A day, yes. It, it had some vague yep. problem breathing. Yep, yep. Which we don't know what it was. She right. doesn't know what it's it was. It's never resolved. And it's another one of those things that's kind of set up but never resolved yeah. in the book, which happens a lot. There's yeah. so many setups that are never resolved. Or um, And then there are a couple things that are set up and resolved, and it's still not satisfying. Mm-hmm. Like, like what happened to the, the high school girlfriend? Izumi, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Izumi, uh-huh. she's... She the uh, yep he he maybe sees her towards the end of the book again yeah. which I kind of doubt that he actually saw her but like it, she's described as someone who scares children all of a sudden and he okay. takes the blame for this like I ruined her life so uh, clearly <laughs> this is my fault yeah no but but that's the thing is like early early relatively earlier that relatively early in the book it's set up as she yeah she's she now lives alone and like scares children that's all mm-hmm. it's said and it's something about her face that scares children and then towards the end he thinks he sees her we don't there's there's no way to know so that right. is not resolved but even if he does even if that's a sort of re- resolution what does he see yep what the, does it mean what, what does it, it change yeah, what for does him? it mean how how is he responsible for it granted he like cheated on her and the implication is that that the emotional fallout from that affected her life but how does that manifest in her face what does it actually change for her yeah she just seems dead inside is is kind of how it it, it's described that she has no expression yeah uh, is is essentially what he he says about her no expression in a terrifying way but again what does that mean what does that mean yeah what does that look like (laughs) so it's like a revolution resolution i've been listening to hamilton too much it's like a (laughs) resolution that is not a resolution at all sort of like a confession 
that mm-hmm. is not actually a confession. Yep. He he says something that is supposed to mean something, but it means nothing. Or it or we don't have enough context for it to mean anything. Yep. Which yep. I guess he keeps so much secret. Yeah. That it, yeah. Um Oh man, for a second I thought you were gonna say so much secrets. I was just gonna call you right out on it. But, See, the fact no. that you were expecting that of me shows how little you think of me. I don't feel like that should be a surprise. <laughs> it's not. I'm just okay. pointing it out. Okay, good. Good. <laughs> anyway, what we first thought about it. So she she yes. sends her, her child's ashes down the river, and she has this beautiful picture about this child's ashes going down into the sea, and kind of in a Buddhist way or a Hindu way, just joining with the sea and evaporating into the sky and falling like rain. That's what she ultimately says she hopes for. Yeah, she right. wants that child to be able to fall like rain. Uh, because what she wants is for that rain to be her being reunited with her child. Right. Uh, that's that's what she says there. Uh, and so that whole image is very powerful in kind of the middle of the book. Uh, and then at the end, towards the end of the book, uh, it's still maybe a chapter away from the end, they go out to his property again. Which, again, is in sort of some sort of idyllic um, you know, Jungle, part of the country. forest place, and sort there's the sea somewhere. Forest, in. and the sea is relatively nearby. Yeah. And so at his property, like, you know, they sleep together, mm-hmm. whatever. And that's the other thing. Their, their relationship seems to culminate there. Right. And um, it seems to be, like, he's ready to leave his wife and daughters and go off with her, and she's ready to leave everything and go with him. Right. Uh, and they're going to be together forever. And then there's this very teasing conversation, which whether it's, which it's you know, Hajime or um, Haruki Murakami teasing us, I don't care, but this very teasing conversation where he's like, okay, now you have to tell me all the things you've been keeping back from me. And she, of course, is like, well, I'll tell you in the morning. Yep. And then in the morning, gone. She's, Nothing. She disappears. She's vanished. And in that case, and every piece of evidence of her is also gone. Right. And that's where, like, it, it's almost a reverse, an entire reversal of a fairy tale yeah. uh, at this point. The culmination is an anti-culmination. Right. Where it's 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 absolutely just gone completely. Right. Like, what is, how do you know any of this was true? Okay, so, like, essentially we first thought, well, he took her out there and he killed her. Yep. Killed her and sent her body chopped up down the river. Right. And, like, I my, my additional sort of part of this theory is that um, his the, the, the narrator's father-in-law, who we haven't really mentioned, but he's in, like, the construction business. And mm-hmm. I re- I've read, you know, that, that that can be sort of a, what do you call it, like a euphemism for Yakuza. Or a front. Like the, yeah, or a front for, you know, for gangster Which is talked um, about a little bit. Activity. The Yakuza are mentioned. Right, and that's part of why I, I have now abandoned at least that part of my theory. And so, what was that noise, Michael? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. Did you hear something? I I guess I didn't. Oh, um, I don't know. I'm just feeling very superstitious at this time. Hmm. But uh, hmm. anyway, How are you? I am. What 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 specific kind of of uh, superstitiousness are you feeling? A very sort of rainy superstition. Mm, a rainy superstition. Rainy sort mm. of sort mm. of superstition. Maybe maybe uh, maybe a little bit of a smoky superstition. Yeah, maybe a little bit peaty. Uh, oh, um, would you say that? Yeah, I would say that it was peaty, um, but but lightly, lightly peated superstition. Okay, okay. Um, I don't know why though. You're 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 treading dangerously, sir. I mean, I am, but you know, whatever. Uh, You're just a construct of my mind, anyway. So, 
Or are you a construct of my mind? What? Oh, gosh. You never thought of that, did I you? I didn't. And a construct of your mind wouldn't think of that. So. Nope, it wouldn't. And I know that because it's my mind. Um, anyway. So, I don't know. Go ahead with your your new, newly, okay. newly <clears throat> thoughts. Your newly thoughts. I think from at least the moment of where uh, Hajime and Shimamoto being 12 years old, at least from that moment and him moving away, uh, and this is, of course, assuming the first chapter is largely true, which we're led to believe is actually not true. Right. So, you know, untangle that web of lies. At least from that point on, Shimamoto does not exist. That maybe he does see her somewhere in the crowd uh, in that chapter six, mm-hmm. where where he follows her. And she's wearing red at that point. Right. Notice that red is connected with her, whereas blue is connected with her everywhere else. Mm-hmm. But at that point... He sees a woman in a red dress, and then there's another woman later on. Who's in a red dress, who's who in a reminds red dress. him of Shimamoto, but clearly he, isn't her. And it kind of seems to be leading up to a point where he's going to have an affair with this other woman, but that never culminates either. Never goes anywhere. Yeah. Never, ever, anywhere. They, yeah. they talk at her car window. They do, they have coffee once. Coffee once, And yeah. that's like, the implication is, oh, well, clearly this is leaving, but at least... In the text, it never does. never goes anywhere. But um, so, and that's that's a, a motif, the red and blue motif throughout mm. the book. But uh, at that point, you know, so Shimamoto in chapter six, or Shimamoto, I'm giving air quotes right. for the watchers at home. Uh, <laughs> uh, she she's wearing red, and he seems to be following someone who is Shimamoto. At that point, he's constructing her. He wants her to be Shimamoto. Uh, and I think the language even implies that he kind of hopes it's not her in mm-hmm. chapter six when he's following her. Mm-hmm. Like he he doesn't want to to meet up with her because he doesn't feel worthy of meeting her. I don't think it is her. I think he just wants it to be her, and he doesn't follow her. He just wants us to think that he follows her, and so he comes up with this object that's proof, and he tells us he has this proof, this this uh, envelope of money sure. uh, that's given to him, and that's the proof that he did follow her. Just like all that other proof of seeing her later on. He's got the proof in the bar sure. of that glass with lipstick, that ashtray with cigarette butts on it and everything, all of that. Uh, he's got all of that proof. But then at the end, there's no proof. Right. It's all gone. Every piece of evidence of Shimamoto from where they were uh, off on his uh, idyllic property, wherever that is. Um, I can't remember the name of the, the, the place. It's something Japanese. Uh, <laughs> Excellent work. Thank you. Um, I, I've now reversed my, my being impressed with your philological uh, yep. expertise earlier. Yeah, I know. I know. And, See, yeah. I've, I've completely flipped it on its head. Yep, the, yep. the culmination is an anti-culmination. Oh. Uh, whoa. Like you intended it. Yes. Like it. we haven't retaken this show like six times now, and this is the best we could do. All right, cut. <laughs> <laughs> You don't have to say cut. Uh, never mind. Anyway, okay. Go on. Anyway, uh, what I was saying. Um, so it's it's all constructed by him. He wants to construct an entire world for himself, and uh, that that comes about in this whole issue with Shimamoto. Uh, and as he's having his affair with Shimamoto, his wife catches on, and and it basically consigns him to the couch. But right. you'll notice who actually chooses for him to go to the couch. Himself. It's him. Yeah. He chooses that. Right. Um, which which would seem to be the noble thing to do. Right. That I'm going to consign myself here. He never puts it that way, right. but he does that. The, the, the whole idea behind all of this, I think, is he's constructing this whole thing to show how he has constructed a reality, but then gotten rid of it 
to show that he's coming back to real reality. Okay. Uh, but in fact, the the veil is is double there, and in fact, real reality is again something he has constructed for himself. It's just an additional layer. So does this leave him being a jackass? Yes. Okay. Yes. Just making sure. Uh, at, at the very end, I want to... The point that uh, the end of this book wants book clubs to ask one another... Right. Uh, ...is who is the person who touches his shoulder at the end. Right. The very last sentence, very last paragraph, until someone came and lightly rested a hand on my shoulder, my thoughts were of the sea. And so what this book wants book clubs to ask is who was that? Right. Who touched his shoulder? And it doesn't matter. Because right. it's someone he has invented. Right. That's that's an interesting theory. And now I just, you know, want to read this book a third time <laughs> with that theory in mind. My theory, reading this, this a second time, I really sort of started paying attention to the whole control mm-hmm. issue. And, you know, how how sort of in control versus out of control that that whole uh motif plays out over the course of the entire novel you could almost go through every paragraph and <laughs> you know find a thesis of like i am in control i am out of control i'm in control you know and it and it alternates um with the the out of control being what he clearly wants us to focus on like sometimes he comes right up to the edge of saying that in chapter if i can find it quickly which i'm sure i can't um <laughs> It's okay, so, we can cut this. Chapter 3, which he has the sentence I'm just randomly finding here. I talked a lot about myself and the, my future, what I wanted to become, the kind of person I hope to be, a young boy's narcissistic fairy tales. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's to his girlfriend, Izumi, which he then meets her cousin, um, who he just, like, is just super horny for. Yep. That's the only way to describe it. He just it. cuts loose. Right, yeah, and just... Uh, you know, and so, okay, here's page 42. Well, page 43 is a better example. So he on 42, he talks about magnetism, this mm-hmm. idea that he, he and, he and uh, Izumi's cousin were just drawn straight to each other, you know, by, by this irresistible force that he calls magnetism. And then on 43, he says, the magnetism was that strong. I couldn't just let this girl walk on by. If I did, I'd regret it for the rest of my life. That's the end of one paragraph. First sentence, next paragraph. Anyway, that's how the person I lost my virginity to with... Or, uh, okay. Anyway, Sounded that's... a little bit uh, uh, impaired, Ethan? Is, um, is, I just... Is, is something... Uh, my, something got your tongue? My uh, my superstition, it has my tongue. Oh, what, what, what superstition would that be? Your mom. <laughs> anyway, who also is a very lovely and beautiful and funny person. Um, <laughs> just in case she's ever listening. Anyway, that's how the person I lost my virginity with happened to be my girlfriend's cousin. This is the narrator, not me. <laughs> Maybe I should have said that first. Should have but, introduced that a little bit. But, clarified uh, it. So the the this again this this very first like affair that leads to what he at least claims is like the destruction of his first girlfriend's entire life, even though we don't exactly know why or how or whatever. That's how this is described, right? He's he's out of control. Mm-hmm. And then I go back once again to chapter one, which like I'm starting to sound like that kid in my in my grad school classes who wasn't really taking grad school seriously and only read the first chapter of every novel. And <laughs> tried to, but anyway, which is 
sometimes legitimate. Like, you can get away with you, interpreting a lot of books just by reading the first you chapter. You can, and that's... Even at a grad level, any of my grad professors who ever listened to this, that's not what I did ever. So in the first chapter, though, Nat King Cole is singing Pretend, right? Mm -hmm. Which Uh, I can't imagine that title was chosen accidentally. Right. Especially when the the two lines that are quoted in that first chapter, page 12, pretend you're happy when you're blue. It isn't very hard to do. So right from the beginning, we're having this almost set up of like a reversal. Mm-hmm. Like he's, you know, any anywhere that he's happy, you now have legitimate textual grounds to assume he's blue. Mm-hmm. He's, he's sad. Blue, he's upset. Which, is which, yeah. Connected with Shimamoto. Right. In the literal color, but blue right. metaphorically being depressed or sad. Right. So that's a whole tangled web that you can unravel for yourselves gentle listener for yourself rather um I'm, I'm assuming there's just one person yeah. listening right now well now that you insulted her blouse she's not even listening. i know um i said it was nice sort of sort of anyway she's definitely not listening now i know now i forgot where i was going with this okay so we have this reversal thing so i read it much more as if there was some underlying reality, much more so than you did this time around. Oh, you, um, you've just got to have more than me. Is that yeah, what you're saying? Yeah, that's that's right. It's um, just just more as as evidenced by <laughs> this here. What, what are you talking about? I don't know. Um, <laughs> so anyway, okay. So my theory is that you know Shimamoto is real. He's, you know, she's she's a real person. He's lied about some stuff, but but that base reality is there, right? But if you notice, as she enters his life and re-enters his life, she's constantly about a loss of control. And he claims, at least, to feel guilty for, like, trying to take up with her even though he has a wife and kids. If he's in control, if he's the noble person that he wishes to be, thinks he should be, however you parse that then he should not be after this this you know mm-hmm. other woman right so my thought is still that he takes her and and you know takes her out to the cabin consummates their relationship but then he kills her mm-hmm. and then those last two chapters are just obfuscation mm. they're just him saying if she had disappeared on me this is what i would have done you know but yeah, and and there's several you know he he implies that well he doesn't imply he almost states that she like threatened to grab the the steering wheel and yep. they're driving out the mountains and drive he, them off he the road. says it he says i'm certain that this would have happened right that... he says i'm certain this would have happened that that shimamoto has a death wish mm-hmm. he literally says everything except that he killed her yeah and if you read the last two chapters specifically if you if you read it with the idea that he's killed her in mind, mm-hmm. all of the grammar makes sense. Sure. Whereas I don't know that it necessarily makes sense reading I... it any other way. Now I could see it your your theory, you know, in that he maybe killed this illusion of her. And that's what I was thinking that's, that yeah. he he killed his memory of her. He killed right. his desire for her. Uh, and that 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 she is she is dead to him completely. Right. Uh, that's that's what I think. I don't, I don't but, think he ever had this affair with her. Okay, but there's that that doesn't tie up one loose end that always bothers me. Okay. In that, it seems like every woman who associates herself with him 
comes to grief. Becomes a wreck in some yes. way. Yeah. So the the, 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 the high, cousin Izumi, the high school girlfriend, yep. you know, has the weird face thing that we alluded to and we still don't know, but one way or another she's She's messed up. Messed up. The the cousin that he has the affair with, Izumi sends him the invitation, invitation to her funeral. Yep. At the age... cousin died. Right. <laughs> and he dwells for like a page or two on how she died at like the age of 36 and that's such a young age to die mm-hmm. so it's not like a natural death of some kind right and then so so like that's izumi izumi's cousin and then you know shimamoto comes to grief one way mm-hmm. or another um and in some of those those earlier izumi chapters somewhere between like two and two and five he literally says like I didn't realize that I had the capability of ruining someone's entire mm-hmm. life. And then later he alludes <clears throat> to that. Oh, I'm not a nice person. I have the capability of ruining some ruining someone's life. Right. Uh, but, uh, like, it, it's all framed in talking about control. All of that is framed in something out of his control. Right. That, that after he had an influence on Izumi, she, her life was wrecked. Uh, after he had relationships with Izumi's cousin, uh, that cousin died from some inexplicable means, something out of his control. And right. Shimamoto, it's it's all framed. Shimamoto just disappeared. She just disappeared. It's out of his control. Yeah. He wakes up, wonders where she is, and she's gone. Right. Uh, it's something that he purposely frames as something out of his control. Right. Which is why I, I, I think that it's all something that he has crafted and, and all something that he has invented. Maybe he saw Shimamoto. Maybe he thought that she was real. Uh, but, uh, I, I don't think it ever culminated quite as much as he was imagining it to. Sure. He probably, what, what I think is he, he heard, he saw the, the funeral notice right. for Izumi's cousin. He heard about Izumi from this other high school friend, uh, or, or college friend or whatever. Right. Uh, and, uh, he, he heard about them and thought, oh, I had an influence on them and thought I'm going to influence my memories to wreck Shimamoto. Sure. And and again, I would like to reread it with that idea yeah. in mind, but at, coming off this most recent reading, ju- that doesn't to me justify the level of derision that he has for himself. Sure. He seems to think that he's just an awful person who I deserves think, to suffer. I think that's the whole point, that, that he wants to, to make himself out to be a martyr. To, sure. to be someone who suffers. Like, the the very beginning, I, I think I said this before, he wants to convince us, the reader, that he's a messiah sort of figure. Sure. That his parents thought of him as a messiah sort of figure, and that he is this sort of messiah figure, which requires him to suffer. Almost, but then it, he would almost be like an anti-messiah. Exactly! Where, like, everyone, and he says this, again, late in the book, he says this, which I thought lent, lent support to my theory, but now I'm starting to question everything, as usual. <laughs> But he says, you know, this, uh, everyone who, like, I wreck everyone's lives. Everyone who comes into contact me with me or loves me or whatever, like, they end up suffering for it. Mm-hmm. Which, to me, sounds like the confession of, like, a murderer or at least a violent person. Which you notice that there's no mm-hmm. explicit violence in this. Right. There's just a lot of implied violence. So, but there's no explicit violence. Pretend you're happy. Right. Pretend you're happy when you're blue. Pretend right. you're you're a gentle, sort of meek, suffering person when you're a violent person. Mm-hmm. That's where I go with it. Right. Well, uh, the other Nat King Cole that they talk about is south of the border. Right. Uh, which is some, and they, they establish that Nat King Cole is talking about Mexico. Right. Uh, and something that I, I noticed in here, this book is written in Japanese, and we read it in Japanese. 
Did we? No. No, we didn't. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm lying. I was wondering how you were going to back that up. <laughs> but, um... It, like our Japanese certificate. Yep. Language learning certificates that we're going to post online for everyone to see. We, we have to Because you can't it. fake that. No, you can't. You can't find that online. <laughs> uh, but, uh... It, Okay, so the book is written in Japanese. Right. And the assumption is these kids speak Japanese. Right. They're listening to Nat King Cole. Nat King Cole saying in English. Right. Which he even, he, he highlights that. He, he points out know, that when, I didn't understand the words. Yeah, when they're listening to pretend, he says, we, we didn't know what the English words meant. Right. Until later. And he points that out, too, about South of the Border. Right. That we listened to South of the Border, but we didn't know what he was talking about. We just thought South of the Border was some magical, mystical place. Which right. implies a certain level of understanding of the English. Right, which is yet another of those, you know, I'm lying. Exactly. He's lying about face. it, which, and he's lying about it to the extent that he can invent what south of the border means. Right. Which made me think that he's inventing everything. Except... He's, he's creating this place, and the whole establishment that uh, when, when he finally uh, comes to his own, when he starts making money, right. he has created his own place... The right. bar, which and another does, bar, and he, then he reinvents it later. He almost does highlight that, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, and he, he even says, I, I laid it out in my mind, which, again, reminds me of Nabokov's invitation to a beheading, where the main character is, like, in this, this sort of dystopian, uh, very modernist sort of prison, but it becomes clear, and it becomes utterly clear by the end that he has invented this entire complex mm-hmm. um this entire like set of experiences uh and you you have to imagine that this is this is some form of like self-flagellation or self-derision right like why would you invent this for yourself mm-hmm. and, and something i think that nabokov points out really well and kind of lays the groundwork for for authors like murakami uh-huh. uh is when you have a first person narrator uh-huh. the whole story can be moot Right. Uh, the the whole thing can be just that narrator making stuff up. Right. Uh, if you've got a third person narrator, you've got another question involved right. there, where you've got a main character that's other than the narrator. Right. But in this case, the narrator is the main character, and he's talking about himself. And this whole book could be his invention. This this fictional character's right. invention. But again, that and that leaves us back with the question that maybe is not possible to answer of why. Yeah. What, you know, because in, again, in Lolita, like, Humbert Humbert is almost trying to, like, clear his own name yep. or, or you know, Make lie to you. Make himself come across as, as somewhat of a victim. Of, yeah. Of someone who like, can justify be. justify himself. And that's, that's part of, like, the framing of the novel and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. But there's no like framing. There's no person that you can assume that this. This person is isn't the story on trial. Uh, Hajime right. isn't on trial in this book. Right. Um, unless you know all of fiction. I've heard. I've heard. Uh, oh, I forget the name, but it's the guy who wrote a book called the novel, a biography, hmm. um, and it's a brilliant, you know, eleven hundred page book. Um, but he he says the the entire like the default mode of the novel is legal testimony mm. like mm-hmm. that's what a novel always is is someone trying to justify what they did and why sure you know so that you know that's that's all we're left with is like what did you do and why did you do it and i think that is kind of what uh, hajme is trying to get at and he's justifying himself by distraction 
by externalizing right. everything but and what saying, is he Look distracting you from from himself <laughs> or from the fact that he just up and murdered this girl because she was like throwing off his ability to maybe have the perfect typical life maybe you know again and i'm maybe on yours too like I almost feel like our next episode should be us reading this novel again. Again. With each other's other's theories in mind. Because that would be a fascinating discussion. That would be a fascinating discussion. Except. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. No. No. But we could. But it would be great. But we're not going to. Right. So. I feel like over the course of this episode, we have both at least violated the spirit of the rules if not the letter of the rules sort of did you have something in mind to inflict on me oh absolutely because i I had something in mind to inflict on you. oh did you so we could in theory both just take a loss on this episode are you saying we both lost yes i think we kind of did i think so too so do you want to inflict yours first you inflict yours first all right you're the guest. Um, as the gentle listener may know, if they have spoken to us before this podcast happened, I brought, so that's basically our wives who are in the other room suffering in silence. They're watching Ghostbusters. That's what I meant by suffering in silence. <laughs> Though I haven't seen Ghostbusters, so I'm not actually dissing it. So, like, save your angry tweets or whatever. Okay. <laughs> so I brought a copy of Moby Dick into this room with us. And my uh, idea for penalizing Michael for when he lost was to have you read the first four sentences of chapter one of Moby Dick without taking a breath. Oh, All in one breath. Four sentences? Yes. Four sentences in one breath. Yes. All right. All right. Moby Dick, chapter one. Well, you don't have to read those in one breath. Loomings. Okay. Four sentences in one breath. Yes. Four sentences? Four entire sentences. Four entire sentences. You got it. In one breath. In one breath. One breath? Okay, you played freaking Hamlet. Shut up. On stage. I'm pretty sure you can do this. Yeah, that just meant memorizing 960-some lines. Yeah, 60-some. How many? 60 how many? Nine. Yeah, 969. I thought you knew the exact number. Shut up. When you're ready. (laughs) All right. Call me Ishmael. Some years ago, never mind how long, precisely having little or no money in my purse and nothing particular to interest me on shore, I thought I would sail about a little and see the watery part of the world. It is a way I have of driving off the spleen and regulating the circulation. Whenever I find myself growing grim about the mouth, whenever it is a damp, drizzly November in my soul, whenever I find myself involuntarily pausing before coffin warehouses and bringing up the rear of every funeral I meet, and especially whenever my hopes... I failed. That was that was a noble effort, and it was probably farther into that fourth sentence than I would have gotten. No, that fourth sentence. See, see, gentle listener, you think that you've got it easy when you hear four sentences, and the first sentence is three words, and the second sentence goes on for about three lines, and then the third sentence goes on for two lines, then the fourth sentence goes on for. Let me count here. Uh, 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 one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine lines. So you think you've got it easy until you get to the fourth sentence. Ugh. 
I saw the opening of Moby Dick on a Barnes and Noble bag, like where they print those things, and I just started reading it, and I was like, "Oh, I'll just read a sentence or two. and like it was maybe two sentences into the start or something, and I was like, "Wait, how long does the sentence go on? I have to inflict this on Michael's windpipe. Cow. That's how that idea occurred. That was terrible. Good. Okay, you ready for your punishment? Absolutely. Uh, yours is a a, a little more uh, bourgeois than mine. Uh, do you have your singing pipes on? No. I am not only do to... I not now, I never have, and probably never will. I, I am expecting you, sir, to sing the alphabet backwards. Well, okay. Here we go. Z Y X W. Nope. I'm done. <laughs> V is the next one. Okay, okay. No, I can't. I absolutely can't. Um, uh, okay. Z, Y, X, W, V, U, T, something with S, R, Q. I was getting there. Q, T, F. Nope, nope, nope. It's gone. I have had too much scotch. What? Too much what? scotch. What? I feel I'm okay violating the rule now that we have now that we've already done the other. punishments. Yeah, and we're how how long was the first episode of this podcast going to be, Michael? I you know ten minutes. Yeah, that's what I thought. So we're already eighty minutes past. That I'm so. sorry. You should be. Right. You clearly talked most of this time. Clearly, it clearly. was me. It was all me. Clearly, yes. All right. Okay. Well, Ethan, I've got a surprise for you. Oh, After the scotch, another I've got another surprise. surprise. I have I'm with have me a lot to live up to next I, month. I know. I have with me the book that we will be reading next month. Is it my copy or your copy? This is my copy. Okay, you've got to get your own. I don't want it. I don't want. I, it. I'm pretty sure you already have a copy of this book. Oh, okay. I think In I've seen case, it I at your house. Do want it? You've no, been you can't. at my house spying on my books. No, I've been at your house. Shut up. Okay, so I, I have a hint. I'm going to make you guess first uh, what book this is. And uh, uh, this is, uh, I'll give you a few hints. The Bible. Well, no. Okay. No, close, though. Okay. You're, you're pretty close. Um, is it Moonrise Kingdom? Because that's a movie. That, that is, that's a movie. Okay. And it is basically the Bible. But um, That's another podcast. That We'll talk Concepts. about that another time in another podcast. We'll tell you when that starts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, um... So, I'll give you a few hints. This is a book that I've told you to read before. Okay. I don't know if you've actually read it. Okay. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Uh, but the, the firm hint that I'm going to give you is uh, an unusual way to be an astronaut. I got nothing. Nothing? No guess? An unusual way to be an astronaut. Okay, the only thing I can think of is the unbearable lightness of being. No. But that's because you referenced Kundera in your notes. Some of the notes that I could decipher Did I? this book. Because I haven't yeah, read because... that, so I, I referenced him accidentally. Well, he said something about, like, meanness because, oh, you know, he's okay. a narcissist. Right. Involved with himself and creating this world for himself. Right. In which he didn't murder the girl that he actually murdered. Anyway. Shut up. <laughs> uh, no you're wrong i'm right like i know that i should like it's tripping something in my brain but that something is way superstitious what if what if, what if i translated the latin for you and said an unusual way to fly to the stars 
Nope, I still All got right. nothing. I, I'm going uh, literally to hit myself when you show You will, this to you me. Will. will. The answer. Next month, gentle listener, we will be reading... It flew across the room. East of Eden by John Steinbeck. I hate you. I know I hate you, do. you so I much. I knew that you would. Also, why did you give me a thousand page novel? And also, also, why is it Steinbeck? <laughs> so, now, think of it this way. I'm giving you a platform to rant about Steinbeck. That's true. And also, I have been meaning to read East of Eden, even though Grapes of Wrath is one of the greatest disgraces to American literature. <laughs> But, but has, have I it, have been meaning to read East of Eden for right. various reasons that I almost don't even remember, but I, I was think, planning to read it. I think the reasons for you wanting to read East of Eden are that you hate Grapes of Wrath. I think it is specifically that you have told multiple people that you hate Grapes of Wrath, and they've been like, read East of Eden. That is true. That's probably, that is one of the reasons. So, and so. I know I'm one of those people. Do you, do you understand the hint? No, I okay. definitely uh, John Steinbeck do not. established for himself a motto and a oh. logo. The motto oh. in Latin is Ad Astra per Alla Porsi, or to the stars on the wings of a pig. Gotcha. So, that was way too obscure even for me. If see, any of our listeners got that that uh that hint. And you have to be honest. You have to tell me that you paused the podcast and you said what it was before resuming and listening to the answer. If you do that and you send the answer to Michael that you came up with and wrote down before you that heard you it. you came up with John yes. Steinbeck's motto, Ad Astra Per Alla Porsi. If you do that, Michael will give you a book uh, from his library. Sure. I guess. Well, it's on Michael now, so if he doesn't That's, do it, you have to be mad. You at just him and laid not a me. lot at my feet. I don't That's think true. I like that. That's true. But this is the book we'll be reading next month. It is not a thousand pages. It's not quite that. Yeah, long. that's not. It's uh, at it's all. uh. It, it's 601 pages. Oh, okay. That's not Not even, bad. That's, not that's like bad. 60% of what I was thinking. Right, 60%. So that's an F. So, so I, that should tell you. I think my paperback version is like 900 some pages long. Why would you buy such a version? Probably 969 pages long. What? Uh, 969? And you're re- wearing blue right now. So I, clearly I, this I is I totally paid. did that intentionally. Yeah, I know you did. Just as I picked this superstition intentionally... From Jura Distillery, because it's, uh, as it says, in a world of its own. The Isle of Jura can be found nestled off the west coast of Scotland. It's a place famed as much for its folklore as for its whiskey. A magical haven where a sense of solitude pervades. Wow. One road, one pub, one community, and one distillery. There is no whiskey and no island quite like Jura. It wow. truly is in a world of its own. Considering that in my own copy, I wrote, I only read like the first couple chapters and wrote solipsism like 15 times. <laughs> I think I wrote there that at are. least once in my oh, copy. Oh, you wrote it at least four or five times. Yeah, I probably. Could decipher, that's right. Solipsism. Let alone, let alone like the scribblings that could mean anything and probably do mean right. solipsism. Anyway, so you know, that's. You know what? You know what I'm proud of? What's that? 
I did not mention a certain word this entire podcast. Do you know what word I'm thinking I of that I didn't what mention? Word you're thinking what of. word am I thinking you're of? You're thinking of vampirism. That is exactly what I'm thinking of. I did not mention vampirism a single time. I was time. actually shocked. I was legitimately I shocked. No. That might be the only actual surprise from this entire podcast. That I didn't talk about vampires at all? Right. And that, gentle listener, if you don't know already what we're talking about, you will have to tune in in future episodes to hear Michael talk about vampires all of the time, probably. Probably. But we're reading not. East of Eden. Come on. There are, there's at least one clear vampire in East of Eden. I'm sure there is. Yeah. Okay. So, we uh, definitely went a long ways over the episode length we had intended. I'll cut this down. I'm sure you will. Not, It'll be yeah, at least like about. five minutes shorter. Right. Um, so yeah, uh, next month we'll be reading East of Eden. Uh, yeah, feel free to read along with us. Uh, find a copy of East of Eden by John Steinbeck. It should be easy to find. It's a classic. probably find a copy for like a dollar in any used bookstore. Probably. Uh, and if you'd like to join our discussion about it, visit us at tapestryradio.org and leave your feedback in the contact section. Just click that contact button up at the top of the page and be sure to put Scotch Talk in the subject line uh, if you like what we do here each month now that we've started. Uh, review us on iTunes. That's uh, like to get a podcast any kind of name recognition. That's one like huge thing. Really, so. it, it really matters that you review us on iTunes. Just yes. just click that five star button. That, just that, click that it right star. away. Just click it. Click it right just, away. Just, just do just it. Click do it, it right now. You don't it, even have to listen to it. No, you just don't have click to. It. Just click it. Also, how are you doing that if you haven't listened? Anyway. Anyway. Um, uh, yeah. Follow us also on Twitter. We are at Room with Scotch. Uh, and also find us on Facebook. Uh, you can follow me personally at M-G-L-I-L-I-E-N-T-H-A-L. I know I have a Twitter handle, and I don't remember what it is. I know what it is. It's at B-J-A-R-T-L-E-T-T. That's Bjartlet. It's an old family. It's something I made up in ninth grade. It's an inside joke. It's something um, Ethan invented for himself. In ninth grade. In ninth when grade. When I was creating my own solipsistic universe. Yep. Uh, follow our network, too, the Tapestry Radio Network, and enjoy some of our other great shows that we have there. Uh, Intermission. Intermission and is our uh, uh, sort of fiction podcast. It's, it's, a, it's an audio drama Audio drama podcast, podcast yeah. Yeah, it, it all Where takes we... pay, place backstage. Where, you know, like, the actors at a theater hang out, and also the ghosts. Yep. Yep. That's not mysterious. Um, and uh, Pokemon Rollout, too. That's a, a real play Pokemon Tabletop United podcast, where we roll some dice and, and catch some Pokemon, if you're into that sort of thing. And if you're not, give it a try. It's funny. Uh, also, I write a webcomic that um, a brilliant artist friend of mine named Robin G. draws. That's Pin Porter Girl Detective. It's a, a noir fairy tale starring a, a middle school girl detective. So if that sounds like your thing, um, that's at pinporterdetective.com. Mm -hmm. um, we're at like page 104. We update weekly, but like that's what, like four issues of a regular comic book. So right. it's not that much backlog to catch up on. No, you could easily catch up on that. I plan to reread it all again in the future very soon. Uh, Ethan, what did you think of... Jura superstition. Okay, I, you know, I really liked it. I did. Mm -hmm. Um, I go for more like the medium to heavy peated. Right. So because of that, I'm going to give it like four stars. It was a nice 
little bit of peat, a nice sort of, I guess, I guess fruity overtone almost. Mm -hmm. I'm not a scotch expert, so scotch experts who are listening, all two of you, um, (laughs) if we've gotten that many, I'm actually going to be very impressed with us. Don't crucify me on Twitter or whatever. Like, I have no idea what words I'm saying here. But anyway, I'm going to give it four stars. uh, And that's just a personal preference thing. Because I would like there to be more sort of the taste of a peat bonfire in my scotch. Michael, uh, what did you think? I, I I'm with you there. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it four stars as well. I'm spoiler uh, four stars. Uh, uh, and and I'm with you. I, I got that fruity overtones. I, and I'm gonna say specifically citrus. Yeah. Uh, that there was a lot of orange in it. Uh, and and uh, a little bit uh, wheaty uh, or grassy yeah, 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 in yeah, there yeah. too. Uh, but and yeah, I did when like they that, when, but... oh yeah sure when but when they say lightly peated, they mean lightly yeah. peated. It's there. It's there. You can you can detect it, but it's not very it's strong. It's sort of like Shimamoto, where you don't know if it's a figment of your imagination. Whoa! <laughs> See what I did there? Nice. All right. All right. Thank you for listening. If any of you have gotten this far, and if you have, I'm sorry. Me too. And your blouse looks very nice. Gorgeous. Keep it up. Walk with confidence. Own that, girl. And don't, you know, when you drag your leg, don't pay attention to the guy stalking you in the background. Just just turn a blind eye. He's, yeah. you know, just hire a hitman. That's all he To bribe him. To, to bribe. Not, not, not to, to kill him. him. No. Just that would be excessive. A little much. A little much. Come on. Really? You're going to go that really? far? All of a sudden? All that quick? Okay, like... What are you doing now? Put that away. Put, just stop. put it away. Stop. Stop. Just, stop. No, just, just, okay. just give him a few bucks. Like, thank you, everybody. And we're, we're done.
obscurantism and obfuscation. Orally observed, gentle listener, obviated objects of oblivion obambulating about, offered unto you in the Tapestry Radio Network. TapestryRadio.org, from our fancy to yours. Thank you.